Hello and welcome to the Island Stories podcast. I'm your host, Harriet Hadfield. Three years ago, I came home to the island and started a new life, which really got me thinking. Each and every one of us living here has an island story. Last season, we spoke to some wonderful guests, each with an extraordinary story to tell. And this year is no different. So let me introduce this week's guest, Vicky Howarth. Vicky is a nurse and a co-founder of the Isseropia Foundation, a forward-thinking well-being organisation that is literally changing the face of mental health care on the island. Hi, Vicky. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hi, Harriet. Thank you for inviting me. So the first question we always ask, very simply, why the island? Well, I personally think, and I'm very biased, that the island is one of the most beautiful places that you could possibly want to live in the world. Um, I grew up here. I was fortunate enough to grow up here. My kids have been brought up here. It's beautiful. It's safe. Um, there's so much to do here. And there's that wonderful sense of community that the island brings. And you are one of those quite rare beings, actually, the born and bred islander. I am indeed, yes. I mean, I haven't always lived here. I have spent time off the island, but um, something about it just has always draws you back every time you try and leave. And where were you born? I was born at St Mary's Hospital in Newport and grew up in Ariton and went to school in Ryde. Are you still living in Ariton? I am still living in Ariton. There's a whole story that I could tell you about that. I'm actually living in the house that I grew up in. Oh my goodness, um, I love which that. Is, which, is, which is quite bizarre. But yeah, I, I love it and it's full of memories. At some point I probably will need to sell it, but no, I'm very, very happy there at the moment. I'm the same as you. I live in my grandma's old house, so okay. my, my baby's bedroom was my bedroom when I was visiting as a little girl, so... I'll never sell that. <laughs> it's not quite big enough for our family, but I don't care. No, I know. I know exactly the feeling. Okay, so tell me about your island family. Who who have we got at home? So at home, um, there's myself and my partner, Charlie, um, who's also my partner in work. Actually, it's just the two of us at the moment and my dog, Puppet, because my daughter... Um, she's 17. She's at boarding school in, at Millfield. And my son, who's turns 19 this weekend is currently in Brazil on a gap year so one thing I would like to say because obviously it's a podcast you can't see Vicky it's absolutely gorgeous and you cannot believe that you've got two children (laughs) who are you know turning 20 it's just crazy so Amelie she's at boarding school but for good reason right she's at quite a special boarding school yes yes she's at um she's at millfield school she's been playing squash since the age of six and has done extremely well with that and has won many british tournaments and european (laughs) ones and she currently represents england um so she's on a sports scholarship to millfield um so i don't see her very often because she's either at school or during the holidays um for instance at easter she's just come back from being in switzerland for the european championships in the summer she's off to australia for the world championships so I'm very excited because I actually get her home tonight um, for the weekend, which is very rare because I don't get to see her often. But yeah, she's amazing. That must have taken some doing, though, because what we do hear from parents living on the island is that if you've got a child who is that gifted, suddenly it becomes quite hard work, right? It it does. (laughs) And, And I guess we were fortunate enough that her dad was always able to take her off the island and take her to a lot of the tournaments and... So she's been very fortunate. But yes, I think it's it's extremely hard to get very far in sport unless you've literally got a parent that's able to drop yeah. everything and get you to different competitions and isn't, you know, worried about being away for weekends. So, yeah, she's uh, she's really, really, she's really fortunate. Is she proud of being from the island? Does she, does she fly the flag for us? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. No, she does. And she's worked, she's worked incredibly hard, you know, f- for her to get you know as far as she's gone it's meant a huge amount of sacrifices of you know the usual things that teenagers would get up to so um yeah she, her life is full of difficult decisions do I play squash or do I do this and normally squash has to win unfortunately so um, but she wouldn't be where she is without that and are you quite a sporty family in general no I'm not at all <laughs> <laughs> I'm 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 not at all as I've got older I have I, I really now understand the importance of of good physical health in terms of mental health and yeah, well-being and actually the only real sporting achievement I've ever done was with Joe Grindley and a group of girls who I know you've had her on your show where I was part of a crew that rode the channel together oh, about were you in that, that crew yeah 10 years ago and that was the first kind of really sporty thing that I've done that 
that I've really pushed myself um, and that was that was great fun and I was with a terrific group of women and we raised loads of money um, and since then actually that gave me a real nudge because I realized how good I felt doing exercise and pushing myself so I've kind of tried to get that discipline into my life from from then on but no I'm not naturally sporty I can't catch a ball um so I have no idea where Emily gets that from but it's definitely not me <laughs> I love that when I sort of did my fact finding on you and I said to you you know is there anything else that you've done that you know I should know about that's a massive achievement you're like no I can't think of anything you rode the channel yes <laughs> yeah that's amazing what was your childhood like growing up what was it like growing up in Ariton? I, I I was really really blessed um I had a lovely upbringing um had a wonderful mum and dad who sadly both passed on now but yes and and a, and a lovely brother who lives in Jersey so again don't see much of him but living in that house in Ariton and you know weekends full of walks and good friends and I had lovely friends at school who are still my friends to this day and I just feel that I have had a very privileged upbringing and part of that is down to the island being the island, I think. And and because it's so safe and that sense of community, yeah, it's, it's an amazing place to live and grow up. That's one of the great things, isn't it? If you spent, like you spent all of your childhood here, I spent some of my childhood here. So when you when you live here as a, as a grown-up, as we are now, you've got these friends that you've known forever. Yeah, and we will always be friends. I, I guess for other people that live on the mainland I don't know but you go to different schools and you move around and suddenly you find yourself at a school 20 miles from the one that you were you were at before it's, it's different on the island those school friends tend to be your friends for life um, which is lovely and it's a lovely small place yeah so I just want to set the scene of where we are because we are at the offices I guess you would call it uh, of Isseropia Foundation and some people would know it as the Medina Medina Valley Centre so I mean, it's just the most beautiful place and a really fantastic place to be looking after people struggling with mental health, with alcohol addiction, which we're going to talk about all of this stuff in detail. But this is where you are now based. You've moved from your Newport base to here. What is it about this place that makes it so perfect for what you're doing? It just feels so therapeutic being here. It's it's peaceful. It's beautiful. You've got the water. It's surrounded by woodland. Um you know, I think there's about three acres on this site here. There's also another six acres just down the road as well. Um, and we were so, for- again, fortunate is a word I'm using a lot, but um, <laughs> we moved here in September and we just haven't been able to believe our luck. We're working very closely alongside the Youth Trust as well, who we very much hope will be sharing this site with us um, in the future. And our sort of ambition really is for us to be able to provide an all-age wellbeing centre here you know, from, from children through to teenagers to adults um, so that everybody can have the benefit of this beautiful site and to be able to do some family work with people as well. It's something that, you know, a lot of people might not know exists right down on the banks of the Medina, so between Cowes and Newport really, but closer to Newport. I think when people think of beautiful places on the island, they often involve the sea and the coastline, whereas this is just a stunning river view it's something a bit different isn't it yeah it's really different and it's really peaceful you know although we've got the cycle track just behind us so there is easy access it is very peaceful you don't have people coming in and out there's not a huge amount of noise it's it's just magical really it's been owned by the Medina Valley Centre charity and they've done a fabulous job over the years but it it struggled during covid the the trustees of the Medina Valley Centre are incredibly supportive of us being here and and our ambitions and part of what we want to try and achieve over the next few years is is raising some really good money so that we can redo the boat shed get water sports back here and active because we know that physical activity getting outside in the countryside green and blue therapy are all huge parts of mental health and well-being these days Um, and this site gives us so much potential to really be quite innovative with what we can offer people in terms of mental health and well-being that just has never existed on the island before so there are two prongs to what you do here there's the Equilibrium Project, which I'll ask you about in a minute. Um, but the Isseropia Foundation, if you were explaining to someone in a nutshell what you do, what you what it's all about, how would you explain it? The, the idea of it really, there's two parts to it. One is to prevent people from becoming mentally unwell. So if people are at an early stage of starting to feel anxious or depressed or feeling that their life isn't going in the way they want it and they feel that they're at risk of developing a severe depression or anxiety um, what we offer is an opportunity for people to come and um, spend time with us join in some of our 
um, our group activities that we do now. There's a lot of stigma around group therapy. People think, oh no, I don't want to sit in a group and I don't want to have to talk about my problems. We're not like that. We, we, we have groups, group sessions, but people can come in and be as involved as they want to or, or as little as possible. If people just want to come and sit and listen and um, hear about um, tools and skills that you can use to help manage your anxiety or ways that in which you can lift your mood and, and hear from people. The other thing about Isseropia Foundation is, although there's the clinical oversight from myself, Charlie and Maria, who, who leads the organisation for us, um, it is predominantly run by wellbeing coaches who have their own lived experience so anybody that's delivering a workshop or a group um, has had that experience of really being quite unwell themselves or really struggled with their mental health and really understands what it's like I think a lot of people feel that they'll go and see a doctor or a nurse that won't necessarily get or understand what they're going through and a lot of the feedback that we get here is one of the things that people love about our organisation is they're working with people that really understand, they really get it, they've been there, they've been really depressed, they've been really anxious and they've managed to pull themselves out of that. And, um, you know, uh, all of our all of our workshops have been developed either through our therapist or psychologist or through um, the clinical expertise that we bring to this, but also with a huge amount of this lived experience. So it's kind of a blend so I, I want to definitely talk uh, in much more detail about mental health a little bit later, um, but just to get a sort of clearer understanding, how does it work? How do people find you? Is it private? Is it NHS? Just give me an idea of how it works. So we're a, we're a non-for-profit community interest company and we're currently on a five-year contract um, with the, um, it's now called the Integrated Care Board, which used to be the Clinical Commissioning Group. So we're funded through them. Um, yeah, we were fortunate enough to win a five-year contract or three to five-year contract. So how does that work? They they sign they give, people to you, refer they, people they, to you. They they pay us to yeah. deliver the service. Um, we get little bits of funding from other places as well, but predominantly it's it's through the ICB. Um, and yeah, they pay for us to deliver the wellbeing service. And we're kind of that 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 bridge really between somebody seeing their GP and feeling like things are going downhill and they're not well, but not actually needing to quite yet be on medication or see a doctor or a nurse. I'm not that we can't work alongside them because we do a lot of the time, but again, we're, we're, we're there to try and prevent people from getting unwell. Um, my, my, if it's okay for me to talk about it, I can say that my background is NHS and to quite a, a senior level in the NHS. And I used to run a lot of the, the services on the, for the NHS. And what we would find is there was long waiting lists. There was never enough beds for people. There's a huge amount of demand and pressure and one of the things that always used to frustrate me working for the NHS is if people had got the help earlier, they would have never ended up needing a bed in hospital or needing to go onto medication. Um, so a big passion of mine when I worked for the NHS was really wanting to tap into other other ways of helping people to get well or keep well and stay well um, to prevent people from getting unwell. Because once you become unwell, you you potentially lose your job, your relationships, your ev- everything kind of crumbles around you. So to really be able to offer that opportunity for people to get help prior to that was, was a big passion of mine. And to break the cycle, that makes a lot of sense. So how long ago did you set Isseropia up? So we've just had our fourth birthday. Um... And sorry, you asked about how people know about us. So people can now self-refer. So oh, wow. uh, okay. um, they can just give us a call. Initially, it had to be referral only. So you would have had to have seen your GP or seen a mental health professional. But um, we were fortunate enough to get some funding um, last year. Um, for, so now anybody can just um, ring up and say, I'd like to come and join your programme. And that's still paid for? That's still something? It's completely free to anybody using that, uh, anybody that wants to come and use our services on the island. Okay, so we need to get that message out as well. We really so, do. We yeah, really lots do. of people. Well, that's great. We're doing the podcast interview. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> so in terms of the number of people that you are now seeing every year, helping every year, give me an idea of the numbers. It's sort of roughly between about 1,500 to 2,000 people. Um, I guess we have a caseload of between 200 and 300 people um, at any one time. We run a programme that generally lasts for about three months. So people will come and join us, join us and um, stay with us for about three months and then come out the other side with a really good future plan of what it is they want to be achieving in their future and goal setting and, and that kind of stuff. 
It looks like from from the website, it's a real mixture and it's quite a holistic setup. So um, face-to-face workshops, things people can do online as well, and then sort of focus on individuals. How do you think that mix works for people? And is everyone different in terms of what they need from you? I think everyone's different. I mean, the one thing that we're not able to offer is any intensive one-to-one work with people. We just don't, don't at the moment have the resources to be yeah. able to do that. So I think, unfortunately, some people are put off by the thought, as I said earlier, of having to be part of a workshop and be sitting around other people. But if we can persuade people to come in and just give mm. it a go. Um, what is it, do you it. think? puts them on is it a trust thing they don't want to open up I think it's a trust thing I think they feel vulnerable I think often they they lack the confidence to feel that they want to be in a group with other people but conversely once they've once they've had that experience actually they they find the benefit of being able to connect and talk to other people that are sharing similar experiences and build you know a lot of friendships have grown out of Isropia Foundation we've got a wonderful community out there of people that have remained you know have remained friends and continue to support each other and then we get a lot of people that want to come back into the organization and give back either as mentors or volunteers eventually you know some of our team here have actually come through our whole process and have then done six to 12 months volunteering and now and now work for us so um that's a really nice way of people being able to give back but that sense of connection and a lot of people with anxiety and depression feel very isolated and what we offer here is an opportunity for that isolation to go away and to really connect and start building meaningful relationships with other people. Yeah, it's that thing, isn't it, of knowing that you're not the only person who feels yeah. like that. Um, that often makes such a huge difference. One of the things I love looking at the website, again, is that you don't call uh, people who come here patients. You call them members. What's the thinking behind that? We do. I think, again, there's been so much stigma around mental health. And what we're trying to do is understand, help people to understand that absolutely any of us at any time in our lives, whether it be us or a loved one, will experience some form of mental health issue at some point in our lives and trying to break down that stigma. And Charlie and I felt the the vision of what we wanted to achieve with this Aropia is really it's a bit like a gym for the mind where people can just come in get the support that they need start you know have a bit of education around what they can do to improve their mental health and well-being without becoming a patient or a service user so we really love the word member we did a lot of engagement with people as well and said how comfortable would you feel about um you know what would you like to be called if you if you are using our organization um and, and the feedback was member. I'd like to become a member like I would a gym, just to mm, kind of mm. completely break down that, that stigma. And on the island, you say you treat around 1,500 people a year. We know that there are so many people struggling with anxiety, with depression. How much more need do you think there is beyond the people that you're seeing? Well, I think, I think there's a huge amount of need out there. And I think... Um, there's probably still a huge amount of people on the island that don't even know that Isseropia Foundation exists, um, that wouldn't know how to come to us if if they did. Um, I think we're trying to do, you know, speaking on the podcast with you, Harriet, is great because that's helping to get the word out there. Um, You know, trying to get the word out there to people is is really tough actually you think on the island it would be easy but it's the amount of people I still talk to that have never heard of us you think oh gosh we feel like we do so much um <laughs> comms around it and we've got our Facebook page and we've you know we, we've had articles in the paper and um things like that but yeah there, there is a lot of need out there and, and we just want to be able to help as many people as we possibly can what about the referrers so do all the gps know about you um, i'm thinking health visitors or hospital staff do you think that message has got through I, I would hope so obviously where a lot of our you know the majority of our funding comes from um the integrated care board um the trust have done a lot of work to um try and promote us because obviously part of what we're trying to achieve is is reducing the demand on their services we have really good relationships with our primary care network and our well-being coaches in reach to gp surgeries on the island across the island there's a fantastic gp called dr dan o'neill who helps to lead all of that work he's my doctor oh he's amazing he's my doctor he's amazing so he's kind of our mental health expert gp yes 
so 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 dan is incredible and dan has been um amazing in helping us to get some additional funding as well for us to do that work with gp surgeries and you know gp surgeries now have a whole array of staff as well that are coming through you know community navigators well-being coaches in there so we have it we build really close links there they come up and they spend time with us we spend time with them so yeah we're, we're kind of doing all that we can to get the word out as much it's as it's really possible. uplifting to hear because i feel like so many of our sort of i don't know the issues that we're facing as an island and, and as a country as well mental health is is right up there and we hear so much about how many people are struggling and how there isn't care available for them. But actually, with you guys here, of co- I mean, you can't do the individual therapy, but if people will come and do group therapy, it's a great way of being able to treat a lot of people. And as you say, kind of break that cycle, get people in and get them back on track so they can get on with their lives. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, n- it's not so much therapy. It's it's much more about education and discussion think the word therapy can sound a bit daunting to some people um it's much more discussion talking um education sharing experiences if people feel comfortable I really want to get that message out that you know please don't feel anxious if you are struggling with your mental health and you want to come and experience please don't feel you're going to be sat in a group and you're going to have to talk about everything that's going on in your life because that's absolutely not what we're about we want people to feel really comfortable and and just talk when they feel ready to talk so good don't you think it's so good Alex I think this I don't Um, say this. He doesn't ever say this. Or he said it once. One of my favourites. Just because of something that I had. The point of this podcast is this very reason. Like, I had no idea this existed, right? And this is such an important part. Totally agree. 100%. You know, service for the island. And how does. 100%. How does no one know about it? Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Um, Everyone should know about this, right? Oh, thank you. Like, I don't know. Right, well, we're going to do our bit. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love Alex. <laughs> I love Alex too. <laughs> I love you well. So there's another part of what you do here that I just want to ask you about, which is the Equilibrium Project. And I know that that's where you and Charlie actually started out when you were doing your own thing. Um, just tell us what that's all about. So Equilibrium Project um, is an organisation that Charlie and I set up um, probably about eight years ago now and that's to help people that are struggling with alcohol dependency a lot of people think that they drink too much (laughs) Um, we've probably all been there at some point in our lives Um, but for some people they drink too much and then they decide to try and stop and actually they realize they can't because they they get really bad physical symptoms and actually it can be incredibly dangerous if you've got to the point where your body has become dependent on alcohol it's actually one of the few things that can actually be life-threatening if you just try and stop it on your own typical withdrawal symptoms um would be shaking sweating um anxiety periods of confusion feeling unsteady on your feet um and actually you can be at severe risk of something called the delirium tremors or having a fit if you suddenly cut alcohol out of your life so the only safe way to um, get off alcohol once you've become phys- physically dependent on it is to use um, medication and to have something called an alcohol detoxification. So I'm I'm a nurse, um, but I'm also a prescriber. Um, and Charlie and I used to work together um, when I was managing Seven Acres, which is the acute inpatient um, unit on the island. Um, we started um, managing um, medical detoxes um, on the wards together and again realised that there's a huge um, need out there, especially for people who um, don't want to go through NHS services for whatever reason, whether they're embarrassed, whether they want that discretion or whether it be down to, again, huge waiting lists um, to try and get um, alcohol detoxes. So initially we started and really what Charlie and I have been doing over the last year is just doing a lot of home detoxes, not just on the island, actually predominantly in London. Um, You know, we will go and we will either stay in people's homes with them or we will stay close by. And for up to seven days, we will work intensively with that person and prescribe them medication. And actually, it's one of the most rewarding things that you can do because generally you arrive at somebody's house and see them completely hopeless feeling like they just can't carry on anymore they're completely sick of drinking but they can't see a way forward their house you know normally they're disheveled they haven't been eating properly or drinking properly and the turnaround that you get with people within that seven days is is honestly it's one of the most rewarding things that you can do and um 
the majority, you know, 99.9% of people who have got to that stage, uh, you know, are almost at the point of feeling suicidal. They say that they're drinking because their anxiety is horrendous. And then literally within seven days, they're saying, oh my God, my anxiety's gone. I'm not depressed anymore. I feel amazing. I'm eating again. My legs are working again. I'm, you know, I'm able to go out for walks. I'm able to have normal conversations with people again. Um, my house is tidy. I feel I can get on top of my jobs. And and so that's what we've been doing over the last eight years. And then when, when we moved into Medina Valley Centre, um, we we saw the opportunity for this lodge that we're sitting in now, which has got um, which has got um, eight bedrooms in it. Um, because not everybody is able to stay at home. If you've got a partner that's still drinking or you've got very young children, um, for a lot of people, they want to get away from, from their homes. Um, so we just offer this place, and, and as you've seen, it's in the, the, the same lovely environment as this Aeropia Foundation, where people can come and stay with us. Um, there's 24-7 care here, and we can get them off their alcohol and, and turn them around really quickly and get them back home again. Yeah, I could imagine this is a very healing place to come for people, and as you say, very quiet and is that how does that work is that sort of more of a business where people are private yes unfortunately yeah that, yeah that one is that one is a private business so yes but still there's a, there's a huge amount of need for that and do you do you have people coming from the mainland as well or is it mainly island people yeah both both you know currently we have we have somebody here from the mainland we've had yeah I've had a few people here from the mainland um, but we also offer it to islanders as well. Again, I don't think it's thing. I don't think people on the island even know it exists. It, it, it exists. So um, that's something else we probably need to get the word out about. Yeah, lots of things to talk about here on the island. It's great. Okay, let's go back to life then. Yes. I always say before living here, but of course you've never really not lived here apart from university. So I went to uni at. Uh, Brighton I was there for 18 months and I actually started off as a general nurse um, and I had to do a psychiatric placement as part of my general nursing which I was terrified of I was convinced I was going to be walking into a ward that was full of dangerous people and I was going to get attacked and it was going to be horrendous (laughs) I had it completely it it was lovely (laughs) I I mean there was there were there was definitely some some hairy times but um I, I found it fascinating. I found it fascinating. I find people fascinating. I, f- I find understanding what makes them tick fascinating and the whole area of mental health and mental illness and um, actually how important it is because um, there's a famous saying that says there's no health without mental health and that's absolutely true. You know, the impact of mental health on our everyday lives is is, is massive and I just found it such a fascinating subject and, and I love talking to people. I love working with people. I love trying to understand people. I love trying to help people. That actually I decided that I was going to swap courses much to my mother's upset, who was a general nurse through and through and um, told me it wasn't proper nursing. Really? Yes, back in those days. It was, wow. again, it's the stigma around mental health. Yeah. And, you know, uh, my mum later on said to me that was the, biggest mistake I ever I ever said was saying that to you because clearly that's exactly what you were meant to do with your life because you just loved loved your job so much over the years and she really really regretted saying that to me but yeah I remember her saying you can't do that that's not a proper job that's not a proper nurse um how interesting I love that she changed her mind oh absolutely see yeah it's obviously what you're supposed to be doing so a bit of Brighton and then you went to Plymouth for the second half yes was yes. that because of the move into into doing more mental yes, health? Yes, that was that was that was to change courses from my adult general nursing course to um, doing a mental health course, and then um, and then moved back to the island yes. <laughs> straight home. Pretty much <laughs> um, started working at what was the old Newcroft back back in those days. Had a year off travelling, and what was it like then on the island compared to now in terms of how people sort of treated mental health? as a as a as a part of the sort of integrated health system again it was it was very um it was very stigmatizing mental health has historically always been treated under a very medical model and that's one of the things that charlie and i are trying to change is that helping people to understand that you can actually get well a lot of the time and that's not to say all of the time because medication absolutely for some people is the right way for it but for a lot of people it's about looking at how they're living their lives working on their mindset looking at 
uh, as I said earlier, education and tools, um, thinking about the lifestyles that they're leading, really trying to look at what's the underlying cause for your anxiety, what's the underlying cause of your depression. And as great as antidepressants are and anxiety medication is, unless you get to the root of what what is what's the underlying cause of it, it's it's never really going to go away and it's going to kind of continue to rear its head again unless you've really dealt with it. So, so what I'm really pleased to see is that the face of mental health is changing and people are becoming much more open to other ways of managing mental health other than just needing to see a doctor and going on medication. And we've actually had incredible results at Isseropia Foundation where people have come to us and they were saying, oh God, you know, I was on three different types of mental health medication and I've now stopped them all. Um, Again, you know, of course I have to say, please don't ever stop your medication without discussing it with a GP or a prescriber. But you know that there, there is a lot of hope out there for people that think oh I've got depression I'm going to be stuck with it for the rest of my life you know no not necessarily you don't need to be on medication for the rest of your life if you understand your depression and you you understand where it's coming from in your life and you understand how to manage it and the things that you can do to make yourself feel better you may not need to be on medication for the rest of your life so challenging some of those um old concepts I think um are really important and that's something we really pride ourselves on doing at Seropia Foundation. I certainly agree with all of what you've just said. I mean, I've had my own um, battles with depression since. Yeah. And um, I have I have been on medication, but I've been on and off it. And one of the things I've learned is that you can't just have medication. You've got to do the other things. So for me, it's always exercise and eating well. But I mean, for everyone, it's it's different things, isn't it? But the medication can help you break the cycle, yeah. find the space to get all of those things back on track. Absolutely. And then and and then you can absolutely be fine. I mean, for me, both of my children have triggered it coming back briefly on both occasions. So I guess that kind of postnatal thing is a big is a big thing. I as think well. hormones can play a huge mm. a huge part of um of upsetting everything mentally and physically and and also for a lot of women it is that huge massive change of life and role yeah. once you've had children that I think a lot of women just feel they're going to really easily you know as women we naturally think we're here to be mothers and that having kids and children is going to be an easy ride and an easy path and it really isn't and suddenly that lack of sleep and that complete change of role and who am I now I'm a mum and all of that kind of complex stuff actually plays a massive part of that postnatal depression alongside the hormone imbalances and everything so again I think I think that's something that women probably don't talk about enough or feel that they can be more open about is actually it's really tough being a mum and it's really hard and parts of me are really hating it you know it's okay it's okay to say that yeah I'm I'm really open about it I kind of always have been um because I think as you say unless people really talk about this stuff then if you feel like no one else has ever felt like this then you also feel like no one else has ever recovered from it and I think that's something you touched on earlier which is that you know you really can get better and it doesn't have to feel like this life doesn't have to feel this hard that's what I always say to to friends and I just think that's what's so brilliant about what you're doing here. And I kind of, I've never done group therapy, but I kind of love the idea of it, of hearing, I mean, I could, probably would, wouldn't I, of hearing everyone's stories and piecing it all together and being able to give your own experiences um, as well. Of the people that you see, this may be a difficult question to answer, but how much do you think living on an island feeds into any of the sort of depression or anxiety that people experience here that's a really good question I think being on an island can have its real positives for mental health but it can also have its real negatives I think I think for a lot of people living on the island um I think there's been a a lack of feeling like you can do anything or achieve anything or um and I think that for a lot of people on the island, that sort of lack of sense of purpose has been quite big. The amount of people that I've worked with that have said, um, you know, I've, I've been to see my psychiatrist, you know, this this is going back quite a few years now. And thankfully, the, the psychiatrist in question no longer works here, but said, you know what, you're never going to be able to work. Um, you're going to be on medication for for the rest of your life. And I think there's that lack of hope sometimes of people that live on the island. I think sometimes they don't see that there's a there's a bigger picture out there and that there is opportunity it might not always be on the island but there is opportunity off the island is that more young people or 
is that a mix of people who feel like that do you think I, I think I think that's probably a mix of people um you know a lot of people that I've worked with that, 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 that are older who have been depressed all their lives suddenly say oh my god I've only just realized that you know this is out there or that's out there and you know my parents had never left Newport all their life yeah. so as a result of that I didn't I wasn't aware that Yarmouth even existed or right. you know I go okay that's probably an exaggeration but I think there's something potentially about being on the island that can lead to quite a closed life I yeah, think and also where people maybe aren't open about because that idea that people could get to sort of the later stage of their life and only then realize that they possibly struggled with some kind of level of a mental health illness for the whole time for the whole time absolutely and again the you know one of the difficult things about being on the island is feeling like you can be open because you're worried that somebody you know because of the stigma around mental Mm. health that Mm. you know if you talk to somebody somebody's going to know know you or tell somebody else and there's that real sense the positive of it is if you can talk about it and people do understand there's the wonderful sense of community that you get on the island that I think you would struggle to find anywhere else in the country you know and that support network that we're that can now be built um and the amount of people that if you do talk to about it and you do feel you can be open about it will really understand and be really supportive again I think that's that's probably quite unique to the island I'm not sure if I really answered your question. <laughs> it was well, a difficult question. No, I did acknowledge it is a difficult question, but actually you've pulled out some really interesting themes there that I think are specific to an island. Um, I have always been fascinated that New Zealand, for example, has a very high youth suicide rate. Um, and in New Zealand, that they, they believe that it's for a similar reason. They feel cut off. They feel a long way away from the rest of the world. So it's probably more acute there. But I do think living on an island has that that sense of isolation it can bring and that your options in terms of sort of moving forward can be limited. And that's something I really want to change in terms of even islanders' perceptions about what they can achieve. It's why I interview people doing extraordinary things who live on the island to try and inspire people. Um, I think, I hope, and I'd love to know what you think about this, but I think the stigma is changing. I mean, if you've got people like me, for example, saying, I get depression, I suffer with it, I've gone on medication at different points of my life, and I'm still doing what I'm doing. Surely that kind of thing of people talking about it is changing the stigma slowly. I think you're absolutely right, Harriet. And thank you for sharing your experience on your podcast so that people can continue to hear hear that. And I think the the more people that are able to be open about it, you know, that are leading very successful lives, but can say, actually, at points in my life, I've really suffered. And, and, you know, I think it's great that a lot of famous people are now starting to really be open about the royal family, you know, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Harry thing, and William it? talking about, you know, their grief and Harry talking about depression. I think, you know, um, very influential people like that being able to be open about their mental health struggles at times is, and I think you're right, I think, especially in the last five years. And, and actually, I think, younger people these days seem to be much more comfortable about talking about mental health issues than say my generation did or let alone my parents generation did so I think you're absolutely right I think that stigma is beginning to is beginning to go which is amazing what worries me though is that people don't necessarily know that that's what they're what why they're feeling the way they are so I'll just very quickly tell you what happened to me I went to the dentist in cows and I was 23 years old and she said you're you're grinding your teeth in your sleep I said, well, why would I be doing that? And she said, well, maybe stress or a bit of anxiety. And I said, oh, don't be silly. I have amazing life. I have this and I have this. And I'm off to do a postgraduate diploma. And I've just been traveling. And she said, Harriet, it's all very happy on the outside, isn't it? But inside, I think you're really struggling. Wow. And she was absolutely right. And I had everything to live for. I never even imagined that that might be why everywhere I was Vicky I wanted to be somewhere else Mm. I'd be on a beach in New Zealand and I would need to leave because I wasn't comfortable with myself and I didn't understand what that was yeah and that was a dentist in cows who said (laughs) I think you better go and talk to the GP so I went to the GP in St Helens and then began you know began my own journey of getting myself that that, that's that's an amazing story and you're absolutely right I think there's an assumption that if you're if you've got money, if you're successful, Mm, if you're good mm. looking, if you're this, if you're that, that, you know, you can't possibly get depressed. 
and and that's where it, you know you realize that actually depression anxiety don't discriminate it, it can happen to any of us at any time absolutely in our lives none of us are, are immune to it it doesn't just happen to a certain cohort of society no and it doesn't know. have to have a cause either no i mean my understanding and you will know better is that there are two almost two different camps on this in that you can have something that's causational so it might be caused by grief or loss or an accident or or something and then also you can have people whose brains just for whatever reason the wiring is just that little bit different um and 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 something can feel can feel off without there being a reason for it absolutely and for some people they might they might not know it might actually be you know one of the things that we talk about is seropia foundation is one of the most important things for our mental health is that we connect with some kind of meaning and purpose in our lives and for a lot of people they struggle to find that thing that they really that that feels meaningful them meaningful for them that that thing that they excites them to get out of bed in the morning or that they can go to bed at night and look back on the day and think wow I've really achieved that and a lot of people will be in a job and be in their in in their family and think yes I, I you know on the face of it I've got it all but actually are you really happy in your job is it is it really bringing you that sense of satisfaction you know yes you've 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 got this relationship but is it is it really making you happy and so it might not although for some people there is that chemical imbalance in the in the brain that absolutely needs the medication for other people on the face of it they can think everything's all kind of funky dory that's a really old-fashioned word isn't that no but i like it i think it it works Um, (laughs) but actually if you really kind of dig down into it are are you really happy with your life are you really actually we don't use the word happiness we use we use the word content because actually that's what I think we're all trying to achieve is that is that feeling of contentment. Happiness is is a bit more fleeting that you can't be happy all of the time. It's unrealistic. But that sense of are we do we truly feel content in our lives and, yeah. and you know, content probably in your own in your own body. In your, in your own, own body yeah. and, and content with who you are and do you love and care for yourself? And that's something that I, I I've had to learn the hard way as well, is about the relationships around you. And it's never ever blaming the other people around you but it's how you as a person interact with the people around you and sometimes you can be in you can just be in the wrong it doesn't have to be your significant relationship but it can be it can be friendships it can be just Mm. the way you interact with other people can actually be dragging you down and and therefore making all of that quite complicated that's what I've learned anyway absolutely and one of the things that we'll we'll tell people that we work with is you know, look at the people you're surrounding yourselves with. Are mm. they people that when you leave them, you feel you feel better? Or yeah. is it people that when you're spending yeah. time with them, actually you leave and you feel worse? Because one of the really important things for our well-being is to surround ourselves by people that help help us to feel good, you yeah. know? We call them radiators and drains, you know? We're oh, to, interesting. We want to be surrounded by radiators, yeah. not, not drains. Yeah, and but I do think it always has to come back to a bit of personal responsibility around those things though as well. Absolutely. In that if you find that, every person you surround yourself with is making you feel like that then that you probably might, you, you might not be the denominator problem <laughs> yeah. no but it's really interesting yeah. isn't it and everyone when I was growing up I thought everyone else was fine and I was sort of the problem and that they were all finding life easy but actually I now realize that everyone's going through their own thing so it's not to take not to take that on you know not to sort of take how they're behaving towards you as anything to do with you absolutely. does that make sense absolutely absolutely yeah. Oh gosh, well, there's so much to talk about with this, but um, I did this, a few key things I wanted to ask you about. There may be people listening who think, why are we always talking about mental health these days? Why has everyone got anxiety? Is it that the way we live now means that more people are struggling with anxiety, depression, or is it that a lot of people used to, but we just didn't know, didn't talk about it? Again, really good question. question. <laughs> I think I think it's a bit of both. We've also got to understand that it's really natural. Anxiety is part of life. Low mood is part of life, and um, and it's it's extremely natural and extremely normal for all of us to have periods of really quite severe anxiety and and depression. The the point where you need to think whether you need help is is it stopping you from being able to live your daily life how much impact is that having on you um and and if it's getting to the point where the level of anxiety that you're having is actually stopping you from leaving the house or stopping you from doing the things that you want to be doing then that is the tipping point at which i think it is you know the advice would be you need to get some help and again with low mood we you know it's very normal that we all get bad days you know 
every single one of us will have days where we think, oh my God, I really don't want to get out of bed today and <laughs> do all the stuff that I'm, I'm doing. And that's really normal. So what I, you know, one of, one of my concerns is we start to lose sight of actually what's really normal yes. and, and that people yes. go, because I feel like I don't want to get out of bed today, does that mean I've got really bad depression and, you know, that I need to go off sick from, from work? No, absolutely not. You're having a bad day. And so I think there's, there's a bit of a conversation about trying to get people to understand that life is tough. Life is, is difficult. That doesn't necessarily mean that you've got really severe mental yeah. health problems. Um, but if it's getting to the point where that the, the feelings that you're having are into really significantly interfering with your life, then, then you do need to get some help. Does that make sense? It does. And actually it makes me think one of the things I think is, is perhaps going on in society at the moment is that we've had lots of kind of almost overcorrections on things from you know big issues small issues and I think mental health you know possibly you're right in that there are there's been so much conversation about mental health which is so so positive and so brilliant but I think that probably has left a few people kind of almost over anxious about whether or not they're anxious or whether or not they're yeah Uh, and I think having you guys here though to help people work out the difference because it doesn't matter like anyone could be referred to you and it doesn't matter if they've got what we might call sort of clinical anxiety or clinical depression, but if they're referred to you and they can start to unpick that really early on, then yeah. that's just great. Either way, it doesn't. It doesn't really absolutely. Matter, does it? And if we work some, if you know, if we work with people and we think actually you would really benefit from medication, I think you need to go and see a doctor because actually your 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 anxiety or depression is is that bad. Then we yeah. will absolutely support that person to do that and recommend that. And one of the n- nice things about our organisation is we have really seamless links with NHS services. So, um, you know, if we if we find them, you know, if we refer somebody and say this person needs your help, you know, they have that trusted relationship with us that they say, well, if Seropia says they need their help, then we don't need to kind of go through that whole assessment. We'll just get on and help them, which is, I think, amazing as well that um, we've got that really good relationship with them that, you know, if somebody becomes unwell or or we think actually this person needs more than us, it's really easy for us to get that person the help that they need really quickly. And why do we hear so much on the island about waiting lists for help with mental health I mean is there a waiting list for you guys or is that specifically for individual um therapy for example it's more for individual we have no waiting list if if somebody wants to there is no waiting list if somebody calls us and says I would like to come and see you guys that person will get a phone call back within 24 hours they will be assessed within a week and they can be on the program within two weeks that is just seriously it's so uplifting to hear and so well that's one of the reasons we went with this model because um you know that what you can achieve when you're working with a group of people as opposed as opposed to -to one-to-one work um you know you you can give everybody that access and yeah we're really proud of the fact we've got no waiting list and that's something that we're definitely on a mission to continue to make sure that we're, we're in that position yeah well that's um sort of almost feels like to me you know my news head on I'm like there's the headline like, <laughs> no waiting list for mental health care here um I just wanted to ask about the youth trust because you mentioned before that you're partnering with them amazing organization um Rob DeBank was our first ever guest yes, on the yes. podcast and it was his charity that he chose at the end and his five things about the island we do hear obviously about how many young people are struggling with mental health issues on the island. So what's the deal with working with the Youth Trust? How's that going to work? So the Youth Trust um, obviously work with people from, um, you know, you know, from very young children. And they actually, I don't know if you're aware of this, work with people up until the age of 25 as well. So there's that crossover that we can have with um young adults where we can work together um they are extremely busy especially since covid as as you rightly said harriet yeah. you know the amount of children and young adults that have really suffered since covid it's really done a lot of damage hasn't it it's really done a huge amount of damage yeah. so the um, and, we're we we we're very aligned in our way of thinking and um they have the expertise of doing much more one-to-one counselling with people, um, with children and young adults. We have the expertise of running the group work. So we thought, hey, how can we work together so that we can hopefully give people within that bracket of hopefully 16 to 25-year-olds kind of the best of both of our organisations? So, you know, the rest of the day today, we're we're in ride together for the day, really mapping that out and how that's going to look We've got really good relationships with CAMS, which are our um, child and adolescent mental health services on the island. They've also employed some new peer support workers there. So how can we bring this all together so that um, between all of us, we're meeting the pe- the needs of, 
of children and young adults who are very, very unwell and potentially very high risk to people that actually we just want to prevent from becoming unwell and, and how can we all work together to ensure that we can provide the most, best possible um, um, service for people out there. I said in the introduction you were changing the face of... Um of mental health how we how we see mental health on the island and now having having chatted with you I really really believe it um, as you know I always ask someone else uh, about the person that I'm interviewing I always ask them what makes them such a special islander and on this occasion I asked uh, Rowan Middleton Neal who uh, is a great friend of mine a great friend of yours and one of the I have to say many people who recommended that I interview you for the podcast I'd heard your name so many times before I even met you and Rowan says, she is someone who is genuinely altruistic, a rare quality, who wants to help improve the system and others. She's also extremely gifted at her job and has worked very hard to get changes implemented that have been used as a benchmark elsewhere in the NHS mental health care system. Well, so, I love Rowan. She's, a, <laughs> she's a wonderful friend and a very inspiring woman herself. Yeah, well, she's founded um, another po podcast link. Is She uh, co-founded Lobster Locations with Lisa yes. Henry, who was yes. our second guest on yes. the podcast. The island, as we always say, is a very small place. Um, but she She's fantastic. And I think that, that really kind of sums up what you do and why you're such a special islander. So thank you for sharing that with us. So we're going to go on to the final bit of the episode. We ask all of our guests a quick fire round of five things about the island. So are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Number one, your favourite place to grab a bite to eat. Has to be the Drunken Lobster in Ooh. Ventnor. Yes, I love the Drunken love Lobster. It. And people, again, people don't really know. Love They've it. heard of the Smoking Lobster, but the Drunken Lobster... What's it like? Give us give us an idea of the vibe. Oh, it's Asian tapas. Mm. And uh, my favourite thing to do is go and have their set menu where they just, you don't know what you're getting and you just get all these wonderful little nibbles and it takes you a few hours to get through and, and the different flavours and tastes are just, I, I, yeah, I love it. Tiny place though, so if you want mm. to pick a table, mm. you have to have to get one in advance, but absolutely love it there. Invent there. Can we go together? Yes, please. Okay, <laughs> Number two, your favourite beach. My favourite beach is Freshwater Bay. Very good. Very nice. Okay. Number three, your number one island activity. Is sea swimming. So you're not the only one to have said that won't surprise you. No. Um, just a quick link back to mental health. Sea swimming. Is sea it swimming, really as good as people say? It really is. It is. really is. And um, I can talk from personal experience because I do swim every month of the year in the sea, um, summer, winter. And um, there's something about that cold water that just makes you feel amazing when you get out yeah I, I sort of stopped being pregnant and then having a baby the last thing I wanted to do was get in but I think next winter I'll be back in the habit and number four which island charity is closest to your heart and I know this is difficult because Isropia would be the obvious answer but 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 there's a technical difference isn't there technical difference in that we're not a charity we're we're non-for-profit community interest company so I would have to say the youth trust because yeah, well, of all the <laughs> wonderful work we're doing with them because I'm so strict about it I was like no you can't say it youth <laughs> trust the youth trust is a great is a great answer they're amazing well. yeah and number five your hidden gem so this is somewhere specific off the beaten track that people might not know about and I guess here was is one of them but another one um, I love Hayden Warren. Where's that? Hayden Warren is a walk that you do, which is just outside of Totland, and it takes you all through this kind of gorse land up, up on top of the hills where you've got the beautiful view of the needles. And on a summer's day, there's no better place to, to walk. It's just breathtakingly beautiful up there. So, so I really recommend that if nobody's <laughs> done that before. Yeah, well, of course, walking also very good for mental health. Vicky, thank you. It's been amazing to get to know you better and hear your island story. If you want more island news, sign up for my weekly email newsletter, 5-stories.co.uk. I'm Harriet Hadfield. My producer is Alex Warren. You'll find us on Instagram at Island Stories Podcast. This season, we are fortnightly, so we'll have another episode for you in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>